I'm starting recording. Oops. <laughs> That's a good way to start a podcast, isn't it? Oops. Uh, well, welcome everyone to Man Up, the men's mental health podcast. My name is Andy Richardson, and sitting a long way off in Estonia is the effervescent Tommy Danqua. How are you, sir? It is still snowing. Is it still snowing? It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop snowing, mate. It is literally like a winter wonderland out here. It's amazing. It is amazing. I love how we've turned this podcast into a Tommy's weather weather report. Like, that's what we're going to do now. <laughs> Instead of this fancy <laughs> me, I just want Tommy. Um, what's the weather like over in Estonia? It's is still snowing. <laughs> it is still snowing. <laughs> Oh. how are you my man yeah i'm not bad i mean uh what what are we gonna are we gonna do a thing where we sort of pretend that a bit of time has passed since the last podcast or, let's, or should we just pretend. let's pretend let's pretend oh well okay yeah well i've had a much better week actually <laughs> i love it it's brilliant obviously um we cannot pretend because we have been uh, quite busy, haven't we? Recording some back-to-back podcasts. We have, yeah. I mean, you know, my mine and Tommy's time is precious, and um, you know, we we like we arrange this little, little um, podcast recording time. So, yeah, we are doing a few back-to-back. Um, it's not quite the sort of uh, podcast marathon that um, that Clark was um, propo- proposing that we we do, like a twenty-four hour record-breaking one, but. You know, three hours in a row, that's quite a lot of podcasts, I think. That's serious. Um, I'm hoping that we've got enough material. <laughs> we n- we never run out of material. Never, never. Do we? Do we? Do we ever run out? I mean, we've always got stuff to say, haven't we? <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah, I'll tell right. you what. Thank you, eh? <laughs> go, on, pr- press the, go on, press the button. The wah, wah, wah button. <laughs> <laughs> oh god now, we are good two years in now the let, and look at us now mate look at us now who would have thought it <laughs> absolutely seamless absolutely seamless now um before we 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 go on to our guest because we do have a guest this week we've got a great guest um i i thought i'd do a little um so so basically during the lockdown um in England uh, and all around the world uh people are spending a lot more time watching box sets and films so it got me thinking you know I like a little list you know I'm a man who likes a little list um I thought I got thinking about films that deal with mental health now, not only films that d- deal with mental health, but films that de- deal with mental health in a positive way that you can watch and get a bit of a boost from. From if you know what I mean. Right. So I've just so I came up. I've just got the fear because I've just realised you sent me a message earlier, didn't you, about this? <laughs> you gave me I tried to be organised. <laughs> Which, uh, just like my school days, I'm not done. <laughs> <laughs> You naughty boy! I'm not gonna get attention. Go to your room. You're you're staying with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air. <laughs> Result. I'll take that. 
probably a bit warmer than Estonia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So, so this this lists, um, my dear friends. You might have seen all of these films, but um, I would check I would check them all out because you would get something from it. And there's a couple in there that if you've not seen um you you will get a bit of a, a a boost from if you have seen them uh re-watch them and you'll get another boost from them if you know what i mean um because oh, sometimes you'll watch a film years ago and then you know you might be in one state of mind but then you'll watch it again and think bloody hell that was a great film i didn't realize yeah. um all right but anyway okay are you ready for my list hit me let's go Okay, so number one. Oh, do you want to do your in at number one? There's 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 eight. Eight. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Charting at this week's number eight is Little Miss Sunshine, um, with starring lots of people, but um, Steve Carell is in it. Who star? Uh, yeah. Have you seen Little Miss Sunshine? That. That's a brilliant movie and well done. Yeah, good shout. I'll give you. Wow. If that's your number eight, yeah. um, I, once again, I'm really looking forward to seeing what's at number one. Yeah, but like like before, they don't go in any order of sort of... <laughs> your number one's going to be shit, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm like desperately trying to rejig these around now. Okay. Okay, number... Go on, sorry. I take my job, Andy. I've got one job on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and you're trying to muscle in. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Read, cool. I'll read them out. <laughs> up one place, number seven. Is one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Now, this film is a little bit on the depressing side, but I actually think it's um, it's a it's a good reminder of how far we've come um, with dealing with mental health. You know, um, so I think it's reason to be optimistic, and there is some really touching moments in there. So there you go. Okay, controversial, but down. Oh, sorry, up from place to number six is Captain Fantastic uh, with Viggo Mortensen. I don't know if you've seen that film, but um, he uh, he loses his wife um, and it's, it's a film sort of dealing with loss and um, rather than what it sounds being depressing, it's very, very uplifting, beautiful film. Oh, never heard of that. Never heard of it. Yeah. Okay. Check it out. I like it. Holding Strong at number five is still Alice. Um, which is a, an amazing film um, dealing with um, a woman who gets Alzheimer's disease in her 50s. And again, it sounds very, it's Julianne Moore. She won an Oscar for it, I think. And um, rather than being depressing, it's actually a very, very uplifting and touching film. Um, so there you go. Lovely. Straight in at this week's number four. Is uh, Good Will Hunting. Starring um, Russell Crowe, I think is it? Is it Russell Crowe or, or is it? Um, yes, it is. No, it's not Russell Crowe. It's um, Robin Williams. Yes, yeah, Rob, Robin Williams and Matt Damon. Yeah, sorry, I'm thinking of Beautiful Mind, which is another film about the mind. Anyway, yes, list? Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> is that also on your list? It's not. No, that's not on my list. So that's an extra one. But anyway, good, Goodwill Hunting. There is a really good film about um, how therapy can work. Um, so there you go. That's a good one. That's a good one. Okay. Down one place. This week's number three. Is Inside Out, which is a great film um, that all the family can watch, even kids. Well, it is a, it's a cartoon. It's a cartoon. It's one. 
This is a great show, Andy. That's a really good one. That should be at number one. No, my number one is definitely the best one. Okay. Okay, you ready? What number are we on now? I've lost count. <laughs> number two. Number two. Okay. Uh, one place. Number two. Is Silver Linings Playbook, um, which is Jennifer Lawrence and um, Brad, what's his face? Not Brad. Uh, yeah, the other bloke. Bradley Walsh. <laughs> Not Bradley <laughs> Walsh. <laughs> That bloke. Anyway, um, it's about a man who has had a mental breakdown as a section, and then he comes out and he meets someone else who's had mental health problems, and they find a be- they find love, and it's very uplifting and very good. Silver Linings Playbook. So number one. Sorry, go on, do it. Oh, you've done it now, mate. Go on, crack on. <laughs> I'm just realising we're keeping our guest waiting. He's probably freaking off him. <laughs> for fuck's sake, what, get on, get on, what get, get on with him. Out for these guys. So- 40-year-old jockeys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number one is It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart. Have you ever seen that film? Never seen that film. Oh, my God. Really? Right. Yeah, watch it. You have to watch it. It's about a man who, um, when he's, uh, he's about to commit suicide and on the bridge he meets someone um, who turns out to be uh, God, I think, um, and he, God shows him how much he's wanted and how much people will lose him if he does that, that deed. Um, and it's a story of redemption and a story that if you don't cry or at least have a lump in your throat while you watch it, then you are dead inside, basically. So <laughs> You should be a film critic. <laughs> I love the way you put it up. Thank you. If you don't have a lump in your throat or if you don't cry, then basically you're dead inside. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Right, should we get on with um, speaking to our guests? I want to give you a round of applause for that, Andy. That was a fantastic list. That was a fantastic list. Well done. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. So so our guest this week is Connor Spratt, who's um, basically a... um, He's a mental health advocate and support worker based in Edinburgh. Um, and he uses his experience of eating disorders, specifically bulimia, to uh, help other people out. Um, we have wanted to get uh, Connor on this podcast for a very long time because he's got a great um, Instagram presence, uh, Recovery Connor, he calls himself. And uh, we are delighted to have him on. So, Connor, welcome to the show. Good evening, guys. How's it going? Oh, mate. Brilliant. Welcome. <laughs> welcome. Did you enjoy, enjoy the, uh, the the top eight of movies? The top, I mean, it was good, but I'm really bad with names, so I didn't recognise a single one of the movies. <laughs> what? Really? Um, honestly, I don't know what it is. I'm so uncultured when it comes to any film. that If you ask me anything, Star Wars, uh, what even is there anymore? Uh, Jurassic Park, Lord of the Rings. I've not watched any of them. So. Really? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, you've got a, you've got a whole list there. If you listen back to this podcast, you've got a whole list there to get get on with. Nice uplifting movies. Okay, nice. Cool. In, right, now, mate. Start with Inside Out. That's a great one. That is a great okay. one. You've been number one. Okay. okay so, so tell us a little bit about your um, background, and um, you know, and and to the to the point when you where you sort of realised that you had um, an an eating disorder. So so your mm. background first, and then and then. Let's get let's get to, to where you, you sort of 
realise that you've got bulimia? Cool. Um, so my background, so I guess like any other dude growing up, I didn't really have any sort of real educational mental health problems at all. Like I sort of, you know, vaguely knew what depression was. I vaguely knew what anxiety was, but it wasn't issues that affected me or anyone I knew around me. And like a lot of dudes just sort of shut off from it, didn't really care about it, didn't really understand it. So, you know, it's just sort of got on with everything else that was going on, which seemed like a priority sort of thing. Um, came to university and before I came, I ended up losing quite a lot of weight. Um, I was quite a big kid growing up sort of thing. Um, was always the slowest one, both, you know, physically running around, but also mentally, because I didn't realise, <laughs> whole other story, but I didn't realise at the time I also had different learning difficulties that I've since have gotten support for, but either way, um, it sort of painted this image of me being the sort of big, slow kid who couldn't really do anything. Um, lost a bunch of weight, trying to reinvent myself, um, you know, get that appro- approval, get that praise, which everyone does want at the end of the day. And I got it from my mates from back home when he saw the sort of transformation, the sort of journey. Um, but then when I got to university, all that stopped because I just met a bunch of people who didn't really know or understand that journey. And I was just sort of any other dude to them. Um, so I tried to find like a way to, I guess, manifest that again and get that sort of approval and praise, um, which again, like I say, and everybody wants and everyone seeks, but I just didn't realize I could find it in other ways. And I was getting it in other ways, but it just seemed to be, um, I wanted to focus it more on my body and how I was looking. So I guess fulfill this sort of, pressure that a lot of men face nowadays anyway but we don't really you know speak about so much um so flash forward to my second year university ended up joining the boxing club and um, really enjoyed it and um, started going a lot more regularly for the friends i was making um the sort of social events all that different stuff and because i was going more and more regularly um and i was you know trying to focus try to learn from the coaches whatever um one of the coaches came up to me about maybe six months in and he was like, oh, do you want to fight? You know, not trying to, not trying to square up to me sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'd be, it be honest, uh, trying to square up to me, but uh, more like to, you know, go and compete. And uh, I was like, yes, like, that would be amazing. Like, that would be the perfect end to this story of transformation. And I basically had two months when I accepted it to the actual fight day. And I had to lose quite a lot of weight again. And because of that, I picked up a lot of sort of, um, not realizing at the time, but extreme habits, extreme sort of attitudes and behaviors, um, you know, training a ridiculous amount, counting every calorie that I was consuming, like not eating out anywhere, like avoiding social events because I don't want to have the pressure of, you know, whatever, like all the different food or drink, whatever that'll be there. And got down all this weight and when I was getting down that weight the compliments that I came back that I got from the initial weight loss of oh Connie you're looking really good you're looking really lean looking really athletic you know yada yada and I didn't realize that I had ended up internalizing the belief that in order to lose weight oh sorry in order to be sort of valued and sort of cared for I need to just lose weight that's the one way into me just receiving that attention and getting what everybody wants that sort of appraisal um oh. Had the fight, um, which is good. It was a good scrap. Didn't win, but either way, <laughs> it was a good scrap. And I, um, afterwards, I I didn't realize that I obviously internalized that belief that I need to lose weight. And it just carried on after that. I basically, I after the fight, I started, um, what I later realized was the first sort of um, instances of binging. I just thought I was sort of indulging in these sort of, things that I had restricted myself for so long for in order to make weight for this fight. Um, and then because I started indulging in those things again, 
I had an automatic gut reaction of, oh, wait, but I need to keep on losing the weight. So if I've now eaten all this food, I need to get up tomorrow morning and go for a longer run. Or I need to restrict more of my food or do more of this or do more of that and just keep my weight down as much as possible and just keep on lowering it as much as I could. And it just kept, it just kept going because because I had the idea of I need to lose weight to be sort of valued. If I lost more weight, then I'd get more of that appraisal and I'd get more of what I was looking for, um, which I was seeking in the completely wrong place, trying to lower my weight to get there. Um, but because I had that in my mind, it just kept on going and kept on going. Um, but because you get to a point where you, um, you're lowering your weight so much and you're restricting so much, you end up sort of really... Um, Food only, food becomes your only focus, and because of that, and your body needs this energy in order to just function properly. And um, whenever you do get it, you have as much of it as you can, and because you then have as much of it as you can, you then try to restrict more the next day, and you just get caught in this cycle and it gets going on and on and on and on. Um, but I didn't question it; didn't think I had any sort of eating disorder again because I didn't have any sort of education around these things, particularly eating disorders, which are sort of a female-only issue stereotypically. Um, and it wasn't until I <laughs> wasn't until I signed up for my second boxing match, and I ended up trying to train again and do whatever. Um, I got elected as a, the captain of a boxing club in the time as well. So I was like, "Oh, what I'm doing must be healthy, must be fine." And I basically went out for a run. And I don't know if you guys have ever done anything like this before. I know I know Tommy has had a um, a boxing match. You might be familiar, <laughs> but basically, I <laughs> I tore my um, my intercostal muscle, which is like a thing like in between your ribs and it's just it's just horrible you can't breathe properly you can't cough can't laugh can't do anything but i still tried to go out and run and train and whatever because i just had to keep on losing weight and whatever um so i remember i was out on a run at like four in the morning um you know ridiculous like october early, early october morning in edinburgh freezing cold went out for this run because i had a binge the night before and whatever and I just started running and I just couldn't carry on because of like the physical pain of what was happening. But then it sort of was all clicking of like, oh my God, like why am I out here running at like daft clock in the morning in so much pain with an injury that should have put me out for months at this point. And I'm still thinking I need to lose weight. I need to do this. I need to do that. But then I also know that I've not always thought this way. There's been some sort of change at some point, which I haven't realized. And all of it just came sort of like, I guess crashing down in a sense of I couldn't carry on these like lies that I was telling myself. I couldn't carry on this sort of like life that I was trying to live, which was ultimately killing me at the end of the day. And yeah, from that point on, I was like, there is something wrong. I don't know what, but there is something. So I um, ended up speaking to a mate who went, well, I had to speak to a mate to just cancel the the boxing match, just pull me out of it. And I was like, I'll go to a doctor, I'll go do whatever. Um, but I don't know what's going on. You just need to, you know, get me out of this right now. And um yeah, as so I went to a doctor, got referred, and then here I am, <laughs> went to treatment, and uh, yeah, that's that's about it really. I try to always tell that story quite short whenever people ask me about a background, but it always it always goes on a little bit. But yeah, fascinating though, isn't it? It is fascinating. Wait, Connor, you know what? It it's amazing. Uh, I'm not going to ask you a question, but I just want to say it's so impressive how open you are about it and like what you're doing. Because you're still really, I don't want to sound patronizing, but you're still really young as well. But you're so forced, mm. which is, I think, why Andy and I have really wanted to speak to you for such a long time. So, and just hearing your story, and I know that it, it's going to go, you know, we're going to take it to the next level, but it's just amazing mm. to have you on here, man. And it's just really, it's just really a pleasure to know you. 
So let no, it's us. Yeah, because I've, I've known you guys since the beginning as well, sort of thing. So when I first started, I think you guys were the first people I reached out to 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 speak out about this sort of stuff. Yeah. So it's great that to be back on here. And uh, <laughs> yeah, like you're saying, it's I don't know. It's there's a lot of stereotypes around eating disorders, and particularly one you know men speaking about eating disorders, young men, particularly this part of our lives where we're meant to be. I don't know, training or looking a certain way or doing whatever, sort of doing the sort of, you know, classics, all that young lad stuff sort of thing. But it just doesn't work, like particularly in a lot of ways that, that it's taught right now. It just really doesn't work at at, le- at the very least, but at the very most, it can end up, you know, really killing people. Um, when you look at the sort of fatality of these issues that happen. And um, yeah, so it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to talk about that. So, so... So there's 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 quite a few types of eating disorder, like you know, obviously everyone's heard of anorexia and you know binge eating and that. You know, uh, yours your particular one is bulimia. Can you can you tell us what that um, what that actually is? Yeah, so bulimia is a um, I guess it's characterised by a sort of cycle of um, binging, which is just sort of eating as much food as physically possible in a sort of restricted amount of time. Um, and that can be different for everybody. Um, so there's no like one sort of cutoff point, you know, sort of calorie cutoff point for that. Um, followed by some sort of restriction and also purging. So I obviously was, um, a lot of people hear the story of me saying, oh, I believe me and thought I was sort of having, you know, have the sort of graphic image, image of me sort of throwing up into a toilet, which, you know, I guess is again, the sort of stereotypical thing that's how a lot of people do go about it. But for me, which I didn't realize at the time, my purging was through exercise and how much I tried to use it to burn off all the different um, food I was eating. So, um, yeah, that's how it's characterized by that sort of whole cycle of things. So real extremes, you know, you've got like a ton of um, carbs or proteins or whatever going into you and then you're immediately just trying to get rid of them through 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 exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, so that what that does to your body must be... Phew. Yeah, not good. And I, I tried to sort of speak about it as, as as though I, I don't I don't want to like you know make a joke of it sort of thing. But as if I sort of dip my toes into the the metaphorical pool of what could happen if it carried on sort of thing. Because I rel- like relatively suffered from it for you know in its grips for quite a you know short time I guess compared to a lot of people. I know you shouldn't you know compare and whatever. Um, but the sort of physical effects of what you, have, what you can have in your body if it carries on going can be really, really bad um, and ultimately it can kill people. So, um, yeah, lucky that I didn't, it, it didn't go on for that long. Um, but it did, yeah, it definitely did cause some damage in the, in the short term, which I think is, I think is mostly sort of gone, which is nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we've, we've spoken in, in the past, me and Tommy, you know, and he knows that I'm sort of fascinated by the sort of gut, and, and the brain link because uh, of my because of my IBS. Um, mm. But um, how did how did this extreme diet, um, this this extreme this the extreme behaviour affect you mentally? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just couldn't. It's it's so odd thinking back at it now because I really just can't picture the state I was in. Like, but it was. It was just a pure focus on food and my weight and anything else about sort of calories and other different like I don't know sugar content, salt and all that different stuff. And it's just 
it's not i know i know like in this sort of particular in society today everyone has got it somewhat on their mind you know even just making food choices is sort of indicative indicative of like your sort of thinking about food and you know it's not necessarily the sort of thing to have that all the time but for me there was just no shaking it whatsoever and i couldn't you know i couldn't do my uni studies like you know thankfully i carried on but i started you know i looked at my grades over that time it really started to dip um wasn't interested in anything sort of relationship um relationship wise romantically um stopped really like going out so much because i was partly because i was ashamed of like the feeling that i was fat but i wasn't fat i was at my lowest weight ever sort of thing um really tired really irritable you know the people who tried to reach out to me to you know see what's going on particularly my family I was very much like, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, I'm just training. Like, I'm just, I need to lose weight. Like, you know, leave me alone, leave me to it, blah, blah, blah. Um, and yeah, it was just really all consuming. And it's, it's sort of weird to sort of how it's flipped over now where the current state I'm in, I couldn't imagine ever being in that position again. But at the same time, I went from being in a position that I'm in now to that position where I was ill without really realizing how when that transition happened or how how it eventually took over and then i just found myself in that ill state where i didn't see any other life even though i knew that i'd experienced otherwise like i knew i'd experienced a life without this sort of problem but i just couldn't think of it ever happening again i just thought that that was my life from then on um yeah which is very yeah very dark very very dark um but yeah mm, it gets it gets better <laughs> with, with the right help it gets better that's how it works though, isn't it? That's quite often how it goes when you're in those episodes, you know, you talk to people that talk about their depression and stuff like that. And it's like, looking back, I can't believe that that was how I was living. That's what I thought of myself. That was how I was feeling. But this mm. is what mental illness does to us. You know, this is what mental illness does. You, you mentioned your family that they, um, they tried to reach out to you and stuff like that. So were they quite aware of what was going on? Do you think? I, so they knew something was up but they didn't know, didn't quite know what exactly was up because obviously like, I was living away from home. So I was up in Edinburgh my family are down from like, well, we're all from in between um, Manchester and Liverpool, northwest of England. So they didn't know what I was getting up to all the time. It just really what I, you know, showed them whatever. Um, and then whenever I went home, I, feel, I still feel so guilty about this looking, at, like, looking back at it. But my mum is the sort of person who tries to, show their love through cooking which is really great and i'm really appreciative of it now but like at the time i remember like you know it should be cooking or whatever and i'd be so like questioning of like what are you putting in this like what are you putting in that like don't put in too much of this sort of thing and it's so bad looking back at it but it was just the sort of state i was in and what was happening and you know they'd think like oh you don't need to worry about it or like why are you getting stressed out about it sort of thing and they knew that it wasn't you know me the usual me that they knew but it's just what was happening and they just didn't, I guess they didn't really get it. And I guess because I also had the boxing as well at the same time, I could just sort of put it into, oh, it's just, I'm just training or I'm just dedicated or whatever else. Um, not that I was ill. Um, yeah. Which is probably, and it's probably hard for a parent as well to, um, I don't know, ha have that sort of realization that their kid is probably, you know, is probably suffering with something that they don't really fully understand. Um, yeah, I can't imagine that's it was easy for them at all. Is is there like because um, you obviously you've through your you know your your online presence and working as an advocate, 
Mm-hmm. You've met other people that have got eating disorders. Is there a sort of pattern you see in people's sort of backgrounds or could it happen to anyone, if you know what I mean? Like, because you don't, I mean, f- for instance, I, I mean, it sort of blows your mind to think of, a, like I say, a boxer yeah. um, getting bulimia. And uh, But is there, because, you know, like, I, you know, the... The, the stereotypical images is, is like a sort of model, supermodels getting bulimia mm-hmm. and anorexia because of those pressures. But do, is there a certain sort of personality sort of type or a certain background or a certain, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. I, I don't, I don't really fully know. Like obviously I've, I've tried reading papers about it, particularly with, with men. Um, and firstly, I can't, I can't really see a pattern with men because there aren't any men to base a pattern off. So it's really it's really yeah. difficult to actually like realise like, I don't know, try and see like similar experiences. But the guys who have sort of reached out to me, um, you know, and there's a few of them who are public on their own Instagram, but the guys who have reached out to me have said it's, you know, a lot of times stemmed through some sort of involvement with a sport that they've really just like pushed to as far as they could go. Um right. Right, they've been overweight maybe when they were younger, and they sort of developed a sort of negative relationship with food without really realizing. Um, and I think that was a huge part for me, which I didn't I didn't realize until, well, until really recently, to be honest. Like I, I don't I don't consider myself as like suffering from it as much anymore, but there's still hints of it here and there, which I'm still sort of like you know working through and trying to figure out. Um, and you know stuff like that about like upbringing and childhood like being a bigger kid sort of thing that's that's only just coming to me now sort of thing of like how that actually did and is affecting me sort of thing um i'm trying to, I'm trying to think what else um because yeah it's like you're saying it's it's really hard to see the pattern in dudes because there's no i mean you particularly if you look to instagram and you try to look for other guys who speak or other people who speak about eating disorders the vast majority will just be quite young white skinny women and it's like it just sort of perpetuates a stereotype that is already there and it's not their fault obviously because they're also suffering so i don't want to you know blame anyone for that at all but it then just stops other men like me and probably many many others coming out and um speaking about it which then sorry i'm rambling on here a little bit but that sort of stereotype also perpetuates this sort of cycle of we then stop looking for other men with these issues because we don't believe they're really out there. So you don't then cater or tailor your sort of treatment or research to focus on them groups. And it's getting better now with more awareness now, but it's going to, I think that's sort of the effects of that is still going to take a good while to actually dismantle. Um, and that, and yeah. Is that, is that because, is that because men are very reluctant to admit it because it's seen as a sort of woman's um, disorder? Uh, or do you think there are just literally less men that have got anorexia and bulimia? Or do you think it's probably probably equal? Or do you think there's more pressure on women? I don't I don't know if it's equal, but there's a few there's a few problems of why I don't think it's equal. So right now, um, beat the leading eating solid charity in the UK, they estimate or they, they quote research anyway that estimates that um I think it's around about a quarter to a third of eating disorder sufferers are guys. And when you then look online or you look into the media, you don't see a quarter of people who talk about eating disorders being a man sort of thing. It's just, it doesn't reflect it at all. Um, I think partly also there's a lot of pressure on women to look a certain way. And then a lot of times those ways, particularly when you look at, I don't know, celebrities, supermodels, fitness influencers, whatever else, 
it's fueled by eating disorders or disordered eating of some sort. But then with guys in particular, you there's still huge amounts of pressure to look a certain way and be a certain way, but it's not necessarily what we view as an eating disorder. It's more, I don't know, when you look at it, it's focused on higher you know, muscle content and looking yeah. leaner and bigger. And you can see it with kids growing up now. There was an article by The Guardian where it was um, discussing the amount of like 13, 14-year-olds who are trying to, you know, get ripped and, um, you know, working out all this time before school, after school. And I didn't realize it was such a big problem, but I went into, um, this was, I mean, way before, way before lockdown, I had to went into the shop, but there was, <laughs> I went into Horton and Barrett and uh, I went to buy this protein powder uh, and the, uh, the the one behind the counter she went to me she was like have you got any id and i was like what do i need id for i was just trying to buy protein powder and she goes oh no it's like a serious problem like all these kids built like you know 14 15 year olds are like abusing this protein and i was like oh my god and then i looked to it and it's you know the amount of people now using steroids in the uk in order to try and supplement the body image or improve the body image the amount of young mm. guys now coming up with eating disorders it's it's, I don't think there's any less people there. It's just our view of what eating disorders are means those people don't get included in that conversation a lot of the time. The, um, well, those massive protein shakes, I mean, the amount yeah. of shit that's in some of them, you know, and, and putting all that into your body in, in sort of large uh, quantity, that's got mm. a, that's. I mean, that is an eat, eating disorder in itself, surely. Mm. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. It depends on, I guess it, it, it all depends on context, but if it's, a 13, 14-year-old trying to take it in order to be bigger at an age where they're still growing. And it's just because they've, you know, seen some sort of, I don't know, celebrity or someone on TV who seems to be successful. And that person who is always deemed successful is always the person who is the most muscly or has a six-pack or whatever else. Then at that point, yeah, it definitely is disordered at the very least. If not a full eating disorder, it is creating a disordered relationship, which then could then turn into a fully blown issue um yeah. when they grow up um yeah well that's it yeah. i mean like I've, I've got kids and my kids are obsessed with six packs because they've watched Avengers mm. and superheroes and daddy let me see your muscles daddy have you got a six pack and i'm like nah, daddy's got a keg but <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it feels- feels like this is what you know this is what we are showing our kids you know you talk about you know the pressure on women as well and I can't hmm. remember, don't quote me on this percentage, but um, I think like, you know, supermodels make up something like, you know, 2% of the female population. Yeah, hmm. you know, the rest of the women, you know, the other 98% women are sort of like idolizing and being taught that they should look like this and stuff, you know. So it's hmm. a similar thing to what you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. Where it's probably just like, you know, these specific celebrities who are usually at the top of the sort of financial brackets, particularly, you know, footballers mm. or I don't know, um, combat athletes, celebrity, like movie celebrities like the rock or whoever else. And yeah, like all this conversation, I don't want to dis- discourage people from taking up some sort of activity that makes them feel good. But in terms of feeling that in order to be successful in life, that these people are portrayed as being, you have to then look a certain way in your body. I think it's so harmful, particularly when you advertise it to all kids who a lot of kids may be struggling either at home or they don't see many opportunities around them. And a lot of the time these eating disorders come out of 
a feeling of trying to regain control. And if you're in a position where you don't feel like you have the control, then maybe a lot of people will then turn to try to change the body as they think that's just how it can be done sort of thing. And yeah, so, it's not good. So, so, so you've obviously come out the other end. What mm-hmm. specifically worked for you to sort of deal with, with eating, your eating disorder? And what, you know, what advice could you give other people in, in, if they've got, got it? Yeah, so firstly for me, um, therapy was great. Um, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was hard to an extent, obviously, because you have to talk about some really horrible stuff that you don't really realise were as horrible as you, you know, ever realised. Um, a lot of stuff you then remember that you completely forgotten about and all that different stuff. Um, I was, you know, I was down at therapy for, I don't even know how long it was now, maybe seven months, six, seven months, eight months. Um so that was definitely necessary. Um, trying to change my relationship with exercise, which I'm still, I'm still a bit sort of hit and miss of whether it's a fully um, sustainable thing at the moment. So like I'm, you know, still training, still keeping up, but I've always been training throughout, um, throughout the time I one got my eating disorder and then two went on to recovery and now, you know, feeling in a place of quote unquote full recovery. Um, so assessing those sort of things in my life, which may have con- contributed to what was going on and seeing if they need changing in order to, I don't know, change it in order to get rid of that initial problem. Um, I guess another good example is sort of the fact that I um, I went vegan roughly around the same time I then developed eating disorder. And I've kept that up the entire time up until a month or two ago because I was just like, no, that I've realized this is still in a like really bad place. I need to get rid of it sort of thing. Um, so I guess that's partly to partly to do with my therapist and also the people around me where you just need to keep on reflecting on where you're at with your life and your journey and what's happening. And I guess don't really take it for granted where you are. Like I've had so many moments like up until this point where I felt like, oh yeah, I'm great. Like I'm on top of the world. Like I'm over it. Like let's just carry on, get on with whatever else. But in the back, there's still something going on which then comes to the front because it's not getting addressed. And um yeah, so I guess maybe put like put it shortly, you know, getting the right help around you and just constantly reflect on where you are currently and what you need to do to go forward. Amazing. I like the fact that you know you you talk about this uh, quite openly and honestly, and the fact that for quite early days when you had the injuries, you said that you reached out to a friend and that was the beginning of the journey. So yeah, t- talking. I think that's one of the key things that we mentioned on this, and I think it, it's. It's the most simple, but the most overlooked, isn't it? Like, mm. sort of seek help, just the communication, just the talking. Mm. Mm. No, for sure. Um, but it's just hard, I think, particularly for the dudes, because you're not taught the sort of language to voice these feelings and experiences, you know, growing up. So then when it comes to a point where you've hit some sort of either rock bottom or crisis or whatever you call it, it's it's almost as if you have to sort of stay silent because you don't know what words you'd use anyway. So, um, yeah, which makes it even harder. 100%. So, so, so what, um, what help is there out there? I mean, where does, apart from, you know, going to your Instagram page or whatever, you know, if someone, if some, if someone for, for specifically for eating disorders, um, I mean, I'm, maybe I'm pushing it too far for thinking that there's an, a, an organization that, helps just men with uh eating disorders but um you know if, if you've got an eating if you've got an eating disorder where do you turn to 
Um, so firstly, I'd try and speak to your GP. Um, there can be a bit of a problem because obviously people's experiences of the GP with mental health problems can be shaky. Um, I guess like I know the sort of conversation is moving forward and how we speak about these things, but that's still that that change is still happening even with the people who are meant to sort of take care of those sort of issues. Um, so yeah. try and speak to your GP, but if you're not comfortable with it or you've had a bad experience before reach out to beat the leading eating disorder charity in the uk and um, they've got a bunch of useful um, resources um helpline they've got um chat line if you don't want to speak to, to anybody over the phone you can email people they've got support groups and um, you know other stuff like recovery stories experiences um and yeah just on top of that like if you're ever you know just seeking help or you're in recovery or you know, something similar, then just try and connect to other people who are sharing the story in order to not feel as alone in it. It can be a very sort of isolating experience and a very strange experience, particularly if nobody else around you seems to be suffering similarly. So yeah, try and reach out to other people and just connect with them and hopefully it'll make sense of your own story and your own experiences as well. Maybe. You've um, actually, speaking of, you, you said, you know, recovery, you've got your recovery community, haven't you? Which is an amazing thing where you invite people to share their story, don't you? So is that something that, you know, is ongoing? It's, I stopped that for a little while just because I, I mean, it was, it was good. I really did enjoy it, but I then obviously started, you know, I was doing my dissertation at the time and then started working in a support work job and just, it like I when whenever I read sort of stories of what people are going through, it can really just take a toll on me, sort of thing. Particularly if like a lot of people were sort of close friends, and I just you know care about them, what's going on, and it just I don't know. It just ended up adding up, and I just thought I needed to take a break from that because it can just be a lot to <laughs> read yeah. through other people's stuff going on. Okay, of course. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. it's important. You got to make sure that you take care of number one first, right? Because mm -hmm. Experiences, haven't we, Andy? Where people have sort of contacted us, and you know, we've been talking to them, and like you said, you know, we we're empaths, we're human, and it does, yeah. it, it does, you know, it kind of the emotional outpouring of the concern it can drain you, and actually, a lot of it was triggering as well. So, did you find mm -hmm. did you did you find that was the case with you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and I I love when people, you know, choose to reach out to me and are comfortable with doing that. But at the end of the day, for me, I am also still in my own sort of journey and my own recovery cell. And sometimes just reading certain things, even, you know, some people who reach out to me and just send me stuff that I just don't need to read sort of thing in terms of like really specific sort of, you know, I guess graphic details. And I'm like, that could just completely throw off my entire day sort of thing. But mm. even if it's not that, it's people just talking about, you know, how rubbish things are going it's because like you're saying we're empaths sort of thing and it just you take it on board so much and then obviously i need to go to work the next day and do the same thing for the entire for the entire day so uh yeah i just need to try and make that balance or else it'll just end up running me into a into a whole sort of thing i respect mm -hmm. so this is this is a another eating disorder 101 question um, <laughs> but, um but um but you um so in my head, a lot of people that have eating disorders don't realize that they've got it, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, the classic sort of, you know, 
I think of like the carpenters, Karen Carpenter, you know, she, for years she was in denial that she had anorexia and, you know, ended mm-hmm. up sort of dying from it. And, but so, so you obviously had a point when you did realize, yeah. um, what, what should people look out for if they, if they're in denial? I mean, what is, what are the sort of warning signs to, to, to make, for people to look out for and think, right, this isn't actually, yeah, this, this isn't mm-hmm. something not to be taken seriously um it's it's different for different people and how sort of long you have been in that state because obviously the physical effects can add up um and you know some of those can take weeks months years um but i think the main thing to try and look out for is if you are distressed around food in any sort of level then question it of why you are stressed out and if you can't find a sort of reason that if your mate told you, you'd think, oh yeah, okay, that's fine then. Then maybe it's time to try and reach out to a friend or reach out to a GP or a family member or something like that. Um, Because yeah, it's, I guess in this sort of society, like I'm saying that there's, sadly it's, it is natural to sometimes worry. Well, not natural, but it's sort of conditioned in a way to worry about food and what's in our food and, oh, are we eating too much? Is that too much sugar? Is it too much this or too much that sort of thing? And, you know, you can have that brief thought and then pass it on sort of thing and it won't affect your day. But if it's something that's persistently on your mind and persistently causing you more distress than what you're what you're accustomed to or what, yeah, to what if someone else told you would you'd think was questionable, then I'd start to, you know, like I said, reach out to somebody. And and do you think the reason why um, a lot of men might not talk about it is, is 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 it just because of it? It's a sort of um, something to be. If you're a man, something to really be ashamed of because it's uh, you know not something that men are associated with mm-hmm. at all, hardly. The same BS. Yeah. Um... It's the same BS stereotypes, isn't it? It's, it's all the stuff mm-hmm. that we're sort of dealing with on day to day with all mental health things, how men are just not doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think just just a you know, blanket across the board for mental health stuff, it's men just don't want to speak about it because there's a sort of weakness associated with mental health problems. Um, but then throw into the fact that you're also dealing with a stereotypically female only issue, then for me anyway, I was left with two options. Either one, I'm less of a man because this is a female issue. And so if I'm suffering with a female issue, it must be less of a man. Um, or two, I'm not suffering with an eating disorder because that's a female issue and it must be something else sort of thing. And then because of that, I put it off and then you don't get help for it. And um, yeah, it's a complex it's a complex issue. Like you're saying, it's to do with just general stigma anyway, but because of the way we've presented and speak about eating disorders in the first place, I don't think many men even realise that they are suffering from one and also then don't get help because of it. Um, I think these that you were talking about earlier of how, you know, whether I think there are more men out there suffering or it's equal or anything else like that, I think there are a lot more guys out there who are suffering but don't really fully realise that the suffering they're going through isn't, isn't, um, isn't something that they have to put up with. And I think a lot of dudes will just think like, oh, it's the grind or this is just what it is or whatever else, then just don't get help because of it. Yeah. So true. Mm. But, yeah. Yeah. 
So I was just I got distracted by a um, police car going by. <laughs> so, I, think, yeah, I think that was on my end. <laughs> I was in your end, so I could so I could hear that. Oh yeah. I'm in South East London. I'll just assume that there's uh, it's always my, it's always in my area because um, <laughs> a lot of, lots, lot of stuff goes on here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, go on, Tommy. Well, I was going to say, I just what one of the things that really fascinated me about what we've spoken about is that. Um, we always talk about exercise and sport as a really positive thing for mental health. And obviously you, you've given us uh, probably, I think this is actually the first time I've heard an example of sport being, or, be, you know, being used and becoming a negative effect, you know, because of the issue. So that's really just fascinating to me. So I think we need to kind of just say to our listeners that, you know, exercise is still good. You know, exercise is still key in, you know, maintaining, creating positive mental health. But again, like Connor has said, just being aware, like if that's coupled with anxieties around food and stuff like that, and you're noticing, you know, just, just something to be aware of, right? Yeah. And I think the like exercise should just be a part of your life. It shouldn't be your life. Um, and if it is to whatever extent, then, you know, I know, I know there's a whole sort of thing of like, you know, football's life or whatever else. I'm not talking about that. Like, if you love it, you love it. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to like slag anyone off for that. But it's, I don't know, when it's at that point where it's taken over and you can't do anything else and you're fully controlled by it, that's the point where you need to step back and get help. Um, like you said, you know, exercise for mental health, like, great. Like, I've not got an issue with whatsoever. Like, I still exercise now and I think it really benefits my mental health. But mm. Yeah, it's just the context and relationship you have with it. And 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 food, you know, food is obviously it's it's what keeps us alive, you know, mm-hmm. and it's what gives us our energy and our our, our you know it what is what basically sort of keeps us going. And if you have a, a a sort of warped relationship with food, you know that that of you know that must really affect it must be really stressful and really sort of you know like I was like I mentioned earlier you know I find it so stressful that I have to really worry about what I eat you know with my IBS mm. and I'm a vegan as well you know I've got quite a restricted diet and I'm constantly having to think about what I eat all the time you know and I worry about it too much and then because I worry about it it makes the IBS worse it mm. makes my brain worse and I go in this sort of cycle you know yeah. Um, and you know, so I can really relate to it, but you know, the, 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 just food is, is, is something that's, um, it's just primal, isn't it? You know? Mm. Yeah. And then as soon as you start suffering with it, it just, it makes you feel that bit more like daft in a way because it's like, oh, but it's just, I just have to eat it anyway, but then you don't want to eat it, but then you want to eat all of it. It's just all, <laughs> it's just all this different rubbish going on and yeah it's it's not good but it's um it's something that can be helped either way as negative as it is it's something it is something that you can come back from and you can you can recover from so um it's 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 like isn't it if you've got a fear of swimming or you've got a, you know, a bad relationship with water well then you can just stay out of water mm-hmm. but with food you can't avoid it you have to have it you no. know exactly exactly um yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I was, uh, sorry. I just I got a shot today. I think I thought um, Andy dropped out then for a minute. It just it just changed about on my screen for a second. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You've been promoted. You're uh, line number two now, mate. <laughs> oh, 
I'm taking over. <laughs> right, Connor, you're my new podcast. Uh... Steady, steady. <laughs> I bet he can't come up with a top eight mental health films. In fact, I know he can't because he doesn't I watch. Know, I don't name one. <laughs> Connor, oh, that you're in a really good place at the moment which it, is lovely it's really nice and like i said over the last year watching your journey has been it's been fantastic i feel like i've known you for ages i, feel like I, I was you. gonna say yeah, been there from the beginning yeah really have mm. got long hair now as well oh my god it's been it's been a journey it's been... <laughs> oh, no, yeah, uh, graduate now uh single now <laughs> uh, so. now this question am i happy now yes i am i am happy now but there's still there's still there's still work to be done which is is fine but i'm in a i'm in a good place to know that i know know what to do to go forward so yeah brilliant brilliant mm. you sounded a bit creepy to me when you went i feel like i've known you for ages <laughs> <laughs> that, that was what i was going for <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> You know, a little bit of at the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, listen. Um, like Tommy says, it's it's really um, it's, it is an yeah. We'll use that cliche word, but it is an amazing journey journey that you've been through, and mm. um, when you're still going through, and you turn it into something really positive um, and helping others at the same time. So our hats are definitely doffed to you. Um, oh. If people want to sort of follow you on Instagram or whatever, um, do you want to tell us what your thing is? Yes. Uh, so my Instagram is currently Recovery Connor. I'm debating whether or not to change it, but right now it's <laughs> right now it's Recovery Connor. Um, yeah, not on Twitter or anything just yet because I've heard it's it's rubbish. But uh, might have a website soon. We'll see. But yeah, Recovery Connor for now. Brilliant. Yeah. Excellent. Do you know what? It was worth the one year wait to get you on this. <laughs> it was worth it. Definitely didn't fail to deliver. Brilliant. Because we've been following you for ages. Guys, I'm sorry. We'll have to wait a year for the next one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, no. uh, oh, brilliant okay well thanks a lot um everyone that has been man up and we'll speak to you next time lovely thank you bye-bye